Coming in, I mentioned to David that uh, I had my sermon written, but I didn't know what was going to happen. This is one of those things that church secretaries always love to hear. The text is not in Philippians. It's going to be in Revelation chapter 3. And uh, I'm not sure where we're going. We'll see. In Nehemiah chapter 8, when Ezra opened the Scripture, the people, out of respect and reverence for the author of Scripture, stood to hear the reading of God's Word. It's our privilege to be reading that same infallible, inerrant, inspired Word. Please stand as we read God's Word this morning. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you because you have kept the word of my perseverance. I also will keep you from the hour of testing that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we do commit this time to you and pray. Oh, Father, we do pray that you will be glorified in all that we do. For it's in the wonderful name, powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we look at the Church of Philadelphia, we find a church that is considered a faithful church. And uh, of course, we, we need to ask the questions, you know, why, why were they faithful? Why, why, why did God so bless them? Why did, uh, you know, why did John pin these words concerning uh, these people uh, in this church? Uh, as you look at the... Uh, reason for their blessing, if, if we can call it that. Look at verse 8, and we'll kind of work our way through the different things that, is, that are given here. Uh, John the Apostle says, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. 
because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Okay, the picture here is, as he speaks to this church, a church which would be considered small in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the world, uh, little power, little significance, but they, they're a church that have kept my word and have not denied my name. In other words, it's a church that has been faithful. And we're going to talk about the significance of that faithfulness in just a minute. But because of this, God has given them an open door. The picture is that God has given them opportunities to impact the area in which they're located. They have an open door. They have opportunities. They have ministries all around them, so to speak. And God has given them these, even though they, again, as I mentioned, in the eyes of the world, have little power. Be a smaller church, I guess. But they have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, when we think about the significance of what a church is to be, the number one thing is a commitment to the Word of God. The church of Jesus Christ stands on Scripture and Scripture alone. If you remember the, 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 the great heritage that is ours out of the Reformation in the 1500s, the, one of the call words was sola scriptura. Scripture alone. God in His infinite wisdom has revealed Himself to us through a written word. That's what we're told in 2 Timothy chapter 3, as all Scripture is inspired. And the word inspired literally means God-breathed. Breathed by God, and it's been given to us for our benefit. Sola Scriptura. I remember years ago a cartoon in a church magazine. It was meant to be fun, uh, but uh, nowadays it, it's become awfully true. But you have a, a church session meeting there, you know, and the convener says, now remember it takes three-fourths three vote to overrule the Lord. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, Scripture and Scripture alone is where we stand. And the open door has been given to the church in Philadelphia because they're faithful to the proclamation of the Word of God. The picture of from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. 66 books inspired by God. The picture of inspired... And this is really interesting when you read 2 Peter. And he's, within the context of talking about the transfiguration. To me... That would have been one of those wow experiences. You know, Peter, James, and John are with Jesus Christ on the mountain and Jesus is transfigured and you hear the words from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. How can you top an experience like that? And yet Peter says, we have something better when he talks about Scripture. That is, not, that is not of one's private interpretation. In other words, Paul wasn't sitting on the Italian Riviera one day sipping a Dr. Pepper 
and, and all of a sudden thinking, hmm, I'm going to write some words that 2,000 years from now, people are going to be blessed by them. No, the Holy Spirit took possession of those men and it's the, the, the particular Greek word that's used there in terms of moved is, is like the wind catching the sails of a boat and propelling it across the water. So that these men wrote exactly what God wanted written. And in 1 Peter chapter 1 where he talks about we referred to this last Sunday, if I remember correctly. Peter talks about, you know, we were born again by the power of the Word, that Word which abides forever. So, brothers and sisters, this Word is the same today as it was in the Reformation in 1513, all the way back to St. Augustine, all the way back to the Supposedly, Job was the very first book written all the way back to when Job penned his words because God never changes. And the Scripture reflects the very nature of God. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Therefore, what? The Scripture is the same. Our challenge is to take that Word and apply it where we are. The principle never changes, but the application does because we live in 2014. Do you understand what I'm saying? Principle never changes, but the application does. Who in the world would have dreamed that our culture would be redefining marriage? God is the one who instituted marriage, the basic unit of society, the basic unit of our culture. Man is redefining it. Thus, the challenge for the church, sola scriptura, to remain faithful. One of the blessings of this concept of sola scriptura, turn to Isaiah 55, because we can kind of say, oh, come on, preacher, it's easy to say that, but who's going to come to hear the word? Who wants to do that kind of stuff, you know? Uh, Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the, without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater uh, in an agrarian culture, the illustration is very appropriate. These farmers in a very arid region uh, looked forward to the snow melting and, and the water coming down. They looked forward to those rains coming in off the Mediterranean Sea because their, their, their crops would then bear fruit. You know, it needs water. Isaiah goes on so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So the, the, the picture of, of the moisture coming down and, 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 and watering the plants so that fruit, is, fruit comes about is the picture of God's word 
changing the lives of individuals. As God says here, my word will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire. It will succeed in the matter for which I sent it. The church of Jesus Christ is to be the proclaimer of Scripture. And as we seek to proclaim Scripture, obviously with the theme being redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ, people's lives are changed. And as people's lives are changed, the culture is changed. Turn to Colossians 1 for a minute. Colossae was a church that Paul had never personally visited. A, uh, an individual that he discipled. Key word. File that away for a few minutes. Epaphras met Paul in, in Ephesians. That's where Epaphras was converted, discipled. Paul sent him back to his home in Colossae. As he writes to this church, he tells them, let me pick up the reading in verse 3. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. By the way, no reference to football team here. This was a, a term that Paul used to describe Christians, saints, holy ones. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth. Now listen to what Paul says. The gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. God's word is what changes lives, not neat little programs or uh, whatever kind of scheme we come up with. It's God's Word that changes people's lives. And as people's lives are changed internally, it's a change from the heart out, we in turn have an opportunity to impact those around us. So Paul is saying to the folks in Colossae, the Word is changing you, and the Word is also changing the people around you. When the church ceases to believe in sola scriptura, then it throws the power that God has given to us out the window. Because it wants to do its own thing not the thing that the Lord has told us to do. When I look at First Presbyterian, First Presbyterian Church in Biloxi, to me, you have an open door. You know, God has given you an opportunity in this area. And when you think about this area... Think about the area where each of you live because that's part of the area. And as we seek to live our lives in a manner that would please Jesus Christ, and obviously that means living in obedience to the Scripture, we're called to be obedient, 
But you know what's, what's interesting is Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Our obedience, brothers and sisters, is driven by love. It's driven by the love for our Savior and for our Lord who loved us enough that what did He do for us? He died for us. And there's a sense in which as we love Him back, we ought to be willing to do what? Oh, but I might get embarrassed by witnessing to my neighbor. Come on. Did your neighbor pull out a gun? Come on. Brothers and sisters, believers are dying all over this world because of their love for Jesus. And it seems like we do a lot of complaining and griping because it doesn't seem like the Lord's blessing us. Hey, He, he blesses us. And we've got to have the courage to take His Word and to proclaim it. You know, it, it's interesting, salt was a preservative. But it was also a flavor. So there's a sense in which we've got to ask the question, am I a flavor to the world in which I live? Or am I just taking up space? Am I blessing people around me? What was the gospel blimp story last Sunday? Remember? Oh, come on. Remember? Hey, let's convert this guy. Let's have a blimp. Blimp caused nothing but trouble. Committee meets again. The guy's there. Hey, was it the blimp that saved you? No. My wife got sick. My neighbor ministered to me. My neighbor kept my kids when I had to go to the hospital. My neighbor brought food over. My neighbor cut my grass. Hey, that's living out the world, or excuse me, living out the word in the world in which you live. That's how you touch other people's lives. When you demonstrate the reality of Jesus Christ in your life, and I remember that reality is a manifestation of sola scriptura, was the Philippian jailer interested in Paul and Silas? This is the second pop test question. Why? Here were these prisoners singing hymns and praying. How many times do you think that jailer heard that? The earthquake comes, the gates fall open, everybody's left. So he's going to kill himself. Paul says, no, we're here. How many times do you think you'd ever heard that? Remember his response? Guys, I want what you have. The reality of Jesus Christ in Paul and Silas was evident to this man. And as a result, boy, he wanted what they had. Because they were different. And he wanted that. 
And that was the beginning of the church in Philippi. Remember the conversion of Lydia through the preaching of the Word, the power of the Word, and then through the changed lives of Paul and Silas. The Word. Hold fast to the Word. Never compromise it. Never water it down. Never try to use it to accommodate but proclaim it faithfully. The Word. And you have an open door to proclaim that Word as you take that Word and minister to the folks around you. John 13. Jesus says, A new commandment I give you. As He's talking to His disciples, and it's interesting in John 13... Judas had already been dismissed. So it was just his disciples with whom he was speaking. And he says a new commandment. We know what a commandment is, right? We're connected with the military. We know what a command is. We do, not right? It's not a suggestion. It's not a request. It's a command. new command I give unto you. That you love one another. Okay? That's cool. The word love is agape, which means self-sacrificing love for one another. A uh, love that's manifested in actions. So, this new commandment, not, not, not a request, not a suggestion, this new commandment that I give unto you, that you love one another. Hey, that's cool. Even as I have loved you. Now, uh, keep in mind, at the beginning of that evening, he washed the feet of his disciples. You know, here, here the Lord of the universe took off his robe and he got a, 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 a basin of water and he washed the feet of his disciples. Now, you can imagine, uh, you know, they didn't have nice sanitary uh, type streets like we have and all that kind of stuff. So you can imagine what those feet had been through. And here Jesus Christ washes the feet of these men. These men who were frail, these men who were weak. And he washed their feet and he said, Guys, I do this to teach you how to lead. I do this to teach you how to serve one another. Because I'm serving you. And so Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another even as I have loved you. And guys, the scariest part is when he says, and by this, the world will know that you are mine. Have you ever thought about that? What Jesus Christ is saying here is that the, the church is to be made up of people who, because of their love for Jesus, love each other so much that people all around can see that. And as they see that love that this group of people have for each other, you know, God made us to dwell in relationships. He didn't make us to be hermits. He made us to dwell in relationships. 
And, and, and part of the scary nature of our culture is uh, you go somewhere, you're known by your social security number. You realize that, don't you? Now, I, I remember when I was in college, they used to show our grades by social security numbers, and that was kind of nice. Nobody knew what grade I made. But uh, I began to realize, man, I'm just a number. I'm not a gym anymore. I'm a number. Our culture is becoming more and more impersonal, and in the midst of that, God has His church, which is supposed to be intensely personal. So that there is such an evident love within that body, again, a love driven by our commitment to Scripture, because of our love for Jesus, to love each other in order to minister to each other. We, we, we ought to be involved in each other's lives all the time. Because that's, that's what a family is, is it not? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, guess who's your heavenly Father? And if He's our heavenly Father, guess who's brothers and sisters? Who has the right to cry out, Abba, Father. And as brothers and sisters, aren't we supposed to care about each other? And as the church does that, Jesus says, and by, the, by, by this love for each other, the world will know that you are mine. Brothers and sisters, the reality of Jesus living in First Presbyterian Church in Biloxi because of the love that you all have for each other impacts people on the outside. If you love, truly love each other, then that means you truly care for each other. That means when you pass each other in the hall and say, how you doing? You don't keep walking. Because if I really want to know how you're doing, what will I do? I'll look you in the eyes and I'll stand there and listen. The beauty of the body of Christ. A bunch of unique, individual people, all very different. That's part of the beauty of God's creation. You do understand, don't you, that of all the billions of people who walked upon this earth, there's never been anybody else like any of us. The beauty of God's creation. Each one of us is unique. Very unique. In high school, I thought it was a big deal to say, ah, ha, ha, when God, when God made you, He broke the mold. I didn't realize how theologically correct I was. Because he did. And God brings these unique personalities together. And he makes us into a family. And as a family, we labor together. This open door that God gave to the church at Philadelphia gives to every church. I don't care where we are. If we're a faithful church to the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's a total commitment to Scripture and a total willingness to love one another as Christ loves us. Hey, God's going to bless. But you know what? He's the one who defines the blessing. We have a tendency to think, oh, blessing means, hey, more money in the bank. Not necessarily. The ultimate blessing is seeing souls changed. People coming to know Jesus. That's where discipleship comes into play as well. 
believers getting together to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to hold each other accountable. And we help each other grow. And as we grow, we touch more lives. And as we touch more lives, people are changed, so forth and so on. Church in Philadelphia had an open door as opposed to, as as a result of that uh, God says you guys are faithful and I'm I'm going to preserve you from persecution. You know read read that text again. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. Because you've been faithful. First Presbyterian Church in Biloxi. God's given you an open door too. Faithful to Scripture. Be the clarion call here on this Gulf Coast for the truth of Scripture, for the reality of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Have a fellowship that is so sweet that it touches the people around you and it strengthens each one of you. And you know, when a, one of the neat things, when you, you look at the book of Titus, boy, it talks about older folks ministering to younger folks. You know, sometimes young folks think they know it all, but hey, years of experience is worth something. Older folks teaching the younger folks. Younger folks encouraging the older folks. And be a people of prayer. Commit this to the Lord. Commit it to the Lord in your private time, in your public time. Commit it to the Lord. Scripture, fellowship, prayer.